Wednesday nights we've been studying through the book of Psalms and we are in Psalm chapter 106. Psalm chapter 106. I'm still hoping I don't get Psalm 119. Because Psalm 106 is 48 verses and that's just an awful lot to cover. But I didn't want to break it down into two, two different messages. So uh, we're going to fly through it tonight and we're going to hit the highlights. But there is a lot here. And the thing that I, I've really been impressed upon as studying this and going back, rereading it, this is a historical psalm and it tells you about different times in, in the nation of Israel, basically that they were unfaithful to God. But all the more that points to God's faithfulness. But as I studied, it, it really put me back into Exodus and Numbers a lot. And if I'd be honest, that's usually not where I go first to read. I'm usually in the New Testament. I'm more of a New Testament kind of guy. And I'm learning to appreciate the Psalms a lot more as we study through them. And this Psalm has really given me a hunger to get back more into the Old Testament, which praise the Lord for that, because it's all God's Word. It's all God's counsel. And there's so many riches that are found in the Old Testament as well. So we're going to be looking at some historical um, comparisons as we go. So, still the same two quotes in the beginning just to remind you a little bit about the heartbeat of Psalms, the summary of Psalms. This is from Kendall Easley. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion, in personal or community life. Isn't that true? God is always worthy, no matter what we're going through, corporately or individually, of our praise and our thanksgiving. John Piper says that the Psalms are songs. They are poems. They are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. I've heard people say that the emotions are the floodgate to the soul. The problem is, our emotions can be fickle. Right? Sometimes we are controlled by our emotions more than we should be, more than we should, as we should be controlling our emotions through the truth of the gospel. And so that's why the Psalms, that's another reason that they're so poignant. They help us shape our emotional life. So the Psalms are very important. And so I want you to think of them as a hymn book. As we study through these, these were the songs that would help Israel pass down the traditions and the doctrines and the laws and the history of their nation, of their God. So it's very relative to us today. As we are God's people. You and I, those who belong to the bride of Christ, we are all now children of Abraham. We are all covenantal people with God. So that's why I believe that these are so important. And just to be... Uh, I don't know, transparent or practical. I'm generally not an artsy kind of guy. So the Psalms aren't usually what I go to first in Bible reading time. I have friends that are much more musically inclined and they, they, they feel the Psalms a lot more quickly than I do. But there are times in my life when I go through seasons of sorrow or grief or seasons of, of unknown, seasons of really trying to pour my heart out to God. And sometimes, maybe you've been there where I don't even know how to pray just to say, God, help. I mean, there have been times where my heart felt so heavy and gripped where the only prayer that could come out of my mouth was, God, help. And trust that His Holy Spirit was praying on my behalf. The Psalms are great for those seasons. Run back to God's Word. So now, don't want to waste too much time. Psalm 106 is where we are tonight. The title that the ESV gave is, 
Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. I almost changed the title, but I stuck with the one that was already the heading. But if you look at verse 1, the ending of verse 1 says, For His steadfast love endures forever. And that's a lot of the theme of this passage. Give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 106, you'll see this in the notes, reminds us to praise the Lord because He is good and His steadfast love endures forever. We are, in this psalm, confronted with our sinfulness and reminded all the more of His faithfulness. I think sometimes, I know in my own life for sure, we tend to minimize sin. We tend sometimes to take grace for granted. This, this week of study has been a great reminder in my life how serious sin is and how holy God is. And part of His character is that He is a God that is just and wrathful towards sin. He hates sin with a holy hatred. And as His people, we also should be growing in a hatred of sin. Not of sinners, but of sin in our own lives specifically. So let's read and let's be reminded of God's faithfulness. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all of His praise? Blessed are they who observe justice and who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord. When you show favor to your people, help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet, He saved them for His name's sake that He might make known His mighty power. He rebuked the sea, and it became dry. And He led them through the deep, as through a desert. So He saved them from the land, from the hand of the foe, and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed His words. They sang His praise. But, they soon forgot His works. They did not wait for His counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but He sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of, God, of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf at Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore, He said that He would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him? So he turned away his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land, the promised land. Having no faith in his promise, they murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. 
And then they yoked themselves to the bell of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened and the plague was stayed. And that was counted to him as righteousness from among generation to generation forever. They angered him at the waters of Meribah. And it went ill with Moses on their account. For they made his spirit bitter and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and they learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare or a trap to them. They, listen to this. Man, this, is, this breaks my heart. The depravity of man. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus, they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against His people and He abhorred His heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times He delivered them. But they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, He looked upon their distress when He heard their cry. For their sake, He remembered His covenant and relented according to the abundance of His steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to Your holy name and glory in Your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we have so much to cover. And we want to pause and just thank You for Your Word and for Your Spirit. We thank You for Your faithfulness and Your sovereignty. And Lord, I confess that that I'm a sinner. And God, I praise You for the grace that we can find through the cross. The righteousness that You extend through Jesus and His perfect life. Lord, as we look to Your Word, we are reminded of Your holiness. We are reminded of Your goodness and Your faithfulness and Your your righteousness and Your wrath and Your anger towards sin. And we are reminded of Your long-suffering. We are reminded that You are faithful to the covenants that You make. God, we look to Your Word and we see this pattern of mankind, even Your chosen ones, being sinful. And rebellious. Quick to forget your goodness. Quick to doubt your plan. And we see our need for your salvation. Lord, I pray that tonight you would help us in our hearts to treasure you. To resolve to to walk with you and trust you and to live for your glory. Pray you would remind us, Lord, of our desperation the cross Lord if there's people in this room God that that need just a dose of the gospel Lord help us to be be just to treasure the gospel Lord there may be someone here that don't know you would you open their eyes and would you draw them to yourself Lord help us 
Help us to make good timing as we study your word. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I just feel like you just read it. And maybe, I've, I confess, I've had to read it several, several times to get the flow of it. But it just kind of speaks for itself, right? It just reminds you, it's like an almost a mini Old Testament survey. From the time that God rescued Israel from Egypt. From the time that they saw the power of His hand. The might that He has. The ability that He has to save. They doubted Him. They murmured. They complained about their provision. They turned from Him towards idols again and again and again. And they would turn from God and He would judge them. And then they would come back to Him because they were desperate and they would experience His grace. And then they would take it for granted again and they would serve another false god. Or they would murmur again and then God would bring judgment. And then they would repent and God would give them grace. And then there would be more sin and more rebellion. And then there would be judgment. And then there would be more grace. And God is constantly showing His faithfulness. And man is constantly showing his sinfulness. And there's that cycle. And it almost is like a merry-go-round. It's like a roller coaster that, that just rises and falls. And it's almost, if you read it from an earthly perspective, it's almost depressing. But when you think about it from an eternal perspective, I'll fast forward and I'm just going to go ahead and read the main point so we can keep it in mind as we study. At the end of your page, the nation of Israel had seen God's miraculous power and tasted of His deliverance. They knew His power. They had every reason to trust and to serve Him. I mean, think about it, guys. They saw. They saw Mount Sinai. They heard His voice thunder. They knew of His holiness and His power. They walked through the Red Sea like it was dry ground. But they constantly turned from Him into sin. His wrath and His anger burned against their sinfulness. Their only hope was God's faithfulness to His covenant relationship with them. And the same, this is where we fast forward and praise God that we have this glimpse from after the cross. The same is true for us in Christ. We are constantly led astray. If you're honest, with, and if we live in a sinful world and we are in our sinful flesh. And sin is so much more serious than sometimes I give it credit. We're constantly led astray. Maybe it's not for long. We sin against God. And our only hope is a covenant relationship with the Lord through Christ. So we need to cling to His grace. We need to worship Him for His faithfulness. And we need to live for His glory. Alright, we can go home. That's it. I'm just kidding. Uh, we've got it broken down tonight into three main points. The top, the first point is you see the psalm opening with praise and prayer. Praise and prayer. Verses 1 through 6, and then at the end of the psalm in 47 and 48, we're called to praise the Lord and to give thanks to the Lord because He is good. Only God is good. And because He is faithful, even when we're not. And we see that all throughout this psalm. And then at the end of the psalm, you see a prayer, God Obviously, this was a time of exile. This was a time when the nations had been judged and scattered. And the psalmist is saying, God, would you please have mercy on us again? And would you please restore us back as a nation to yourself? And he says, so that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. And then you see him being praised again in verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Isn't that a good way to say it? From eternity to eternity. May the Lord be praised. By the way, that's happening. He's being praised, has been and will be. Come on. From everlasting to everlasting. The psalm ends with praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah.
so you see praise and prayer. In verse 1, you see a declaration of His goodness. Why should we give thanks to the Lord? Well, simple. Because He is good. Isn't it easy to forget His goodness in our life? Sometimes we, like the Israelites did, and now look, let's cut them some slack. They had a hard time, right? I mean, they were slaves for a long time, and then God delivered them, and they were, they, they, I understand, I think temporally as well, they come to the Red Sea, and all they know is, we can't swim across this, but here they come behind us, what gives, right? Cut them some slack, because we probably would have done the same thing that they did. Or I would have. Our circumstances do not determine God's goodness. So we can praise the Lord at all times because He is always good. You see also in verse 1 a declaration of His faithfulness. Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. He is faithful. He is steadfast. Which is a good thing because you and I, as mankind, we're not. Even as some, I mean, some of you guys are much more honorable than I am, and some of you are much more steadfast than I am, but none of us are perfect. But our relationship with God does not depend on our faithfulness, it's on His faithfulness. You see also a supplication for deliverance. In verse 4, the psalmist says, Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. There's this, this, this supplication, this prayer. God, supply what we need. Remember me when you show favor because I need deliverance. At the end of the psalm, you see it in verse 47. Save us, O Lord, our God. We need you. And gather us from among the nations. There's nothing we can do. We need you. That we may give thanks to your holy name. So there's a prayer of supplication for deliverance. That's a good, a good way for us to be reminded to pray. God, you're good. And God, you're faithful. Remind me of those things. Remind me of your mighty deeds. Help me to remember. And by the way, it's not necessarily written down in the, in the Word like it is for us to read about Israel's roller coaster and ups and downs of the mighty deeds that they were able to experience. But you and I have experienced God's mighty hand, right? Man, I am so quick to forget His power. I'm so tempted so often to be anxious. I'm so tempted so often to, to fret and to forget His power. In my life that I've tasted and seen. I remember. If I ever slow down long enough. If I would. When I use. The word of God to. To think through my own walk. There was a time when I was in bondage. And God set me free. There was a time when I called out to him. In desperation because I couldn't do it myself. And he heard my cry. And he delivered me. And he showed me his goodness. The New Testament teaches us that we all are sinners and we all need a Savior. And God saved me and He changed me. And I forget that, that power that I experience sometimes. Often when I'm talking with someone who's been walking with the Lord for a period of time, they say that they miss that, that, new, that newness of when they first were saved. And I know exactly what they're talking about. Sometimes I do too. But it doesn't have to be like that. Because every single day we're desperate for His grace. And we need to be remembering His faithfulness and His goodness and His power. Remembering what He's done in our lives. Remembering the Gospel. Praying to Him even now for deliverance. Some of us, just because we're saints, doesn't mean that we are immune to temptation, right? We can pray to God for deliverance and by, by God's grace and His power, we can have deliverance. Supplication for deliverance. Number two, 
You can break down this psalm. You see, there's a remembrance of Israel's sinfulness. Verses 6 through 48 is a recap of several times that Israel didn't necessarily put her best foot forward. Several examples. You see, I've got A, B, and C. You see a time in Egypt and by the Red Sea. And B, you see it in the wilderness. And C, you see it in the promised land. All throughout this psalm, it's broken down. I'll go back over those. Just wanted you to know where we're going. In the wilderness, verses 13 through, um, through 33 talks about when God had delivered them. Now, remember the plagues that He sent on Egypt? He was hardening Pharaoh's heart. Moses was going and saying, let my people go, and Pharaoh would not do it, so God would send a plague. They saw, they were reminded that the God of creation was the Lord. That the one who said, let my people go, controls the sun, controls life and death, controls nature, controls animals, controls all things. They saw his power. Moses told him, this is what's going to happen. And it happened. And they saw this. They saw his mighty deeds. And then they come to the Red Sea. And they're like, oh, great. You brought us out here to die. Were there not enough tombs in Israel in Egypt? <laughs> what is there? That's what they said. Were there not enough tombs in Egypt? Were you going to bring us out to the Red Sea so that we can perish here? So quick. So quick. I put on there, that's the sin of disbelief. Disbelief. That's the opposite of faith. Now, Someone that was, let's give them grace, right? They were new at this, if you will. But if someone just would have said, Lord, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? I know you can. That would have been faith. But instead they said, well, I guess there wasn't enough graves in Egypt. We'll just die over here. That's like passive aggressiveness towards God. The sin of disbelief. But it says, even though verse 8 says, yet, it says that verse 7 ends and says, they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Verse 8 says, yet, or but, even though they rebelled, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. And so what God do? He rebuked the sea and it parted. And it says that they crossed through it and the ground that they walked on was as dry as the desert. And after all of his people had passed through, the Egyptians were allowed to follow. And then the sea crashed down on them and they saw his power again. And it says then they believed. He saved them, verse 10. And then in verse 12 it says, Then they believed his words and they sang his praise. But that wasn't faith. Honestly, they believed it after they saw it. That wasn't faith. That wasn't believing what they couldn't see. Then after they cross the Red Sea, they enter into the wilderness. So we see in Israel's sinfulness in the wilderness. That's point number B. First thing we see listed is the sin of envy. Verse 13 says that they forgot His works. They didn't wait for His counsel. They had wanton cravings in the wilderness. And they put God to the test in the desert. That's after God had begun providing for them by manna. Remember the manna? What is it? Tasted like honey. They would gather it and make cakes. But I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, manna means what is it? They were like, what is this? And they were like, man, I'm so sick of eating manna day after day after day. If we just, when we were in Israel, we had all these, these food and produce and meat. I want meat. And they were envying what they didn't have because they weren't trusting God and being thankful for what He did provide. By the way, I believe God was doing a lot more than just providing for them, but He was showing them how to come to Him and trust Him in this season. And if I were to be honest, 
I fail in that kind of a, set, a setting all the times too. God, if you just do this, or if you just do that, why, why, why? Why does it have to be so hard? Why can I only have manna? <laughs> He's providing. They envied what they didn't have. Next, you can see the sin of jealousy in verse 16. It says, When men at the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord. The sin of jealousy. They were jealous. Is, is Aaron more holy than the other priest? I believe God answered them with the resounding opening up the ground and swallowing the people. He was serious. You see, time and time, and we'll get to this later, but right then, you see God's seriousness against sin. Wiping it away from the camp. You see judgment. That's the story from Numbers. Verse 11 was the sin of the envy when they wanted the meat and not just manna. And then the one in jealousy is when they were jealous of Moses. That's from Numbers 16. I'm telling you, this psalm really whet my appetite to go back and study Maybe this week would be a good time to go back and read through those passages and be reminded. Next, you see in the wilderness the sin of idolatry. This is before they had even entered the promised land. This isn't Canaan rubbing off on them. This is while Moses is on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. And they say, we need a God to worship. And so Aaron gives in and they make this calf. And it says right here in Psalm 106, they traded the glory of the Lord for an ox that eats grass. <laughs> Idolatry. Worshiping anything that is not God. Man, I've got to figure out where to stand. That sun is getting me. Keep on coming over here by y'all. Further and further. The sin of idolatry. Now, we're tempted. I'm tempted to say, well, that's not me. That's one thing I don't have to worry about. Sometimes I envy other people for what I don't have. And sometimes I'm jealous of other people's position. But I've never bowed down to an idol. Never made a golden calf. There's a writer that says, our hearts are an idol-making factory. You say, where is that sun coming from? You're getting, <laughs> getting the reflection. Sorry. Uh, can I block it? No. We make idols in our own heart all the time. Anything that we serve more and love more and treasure more than God can become an idol in our own lives. That's a scary thing. Because everything that's good, everything that we're tempted to worship, is actually a gift from the Lord. It's something to be treasured and be thankful for, but it's nothing to be worshipped. They took their gold, their wealth. By the way, God's the one that gave them the gold. Remember the story? The Egyptians gave them their gold on their way out and then they took that gold and they turned it into an idol. And then you know what happened? Moses got mad and he burned it and ground it up and made them eat it. They wasted that gold. Don't waste your, your gold. Don't worship it. Idolatry. I've seen idolatry Face to face. I have stood in temples and seen false gods made in the images of man, in the images of monkeys, in the images of all kind of things. People are worshiping those things because they don't know who the Creator is. They don't know who to worship. But they seek to worship something. We were created to worship. Not idols. They get us nowhere. I was reminded so many times in India of the passage that says, your idols cannot speak, they cannot hear, and if they get knocked over, they can't get themselves back up. They're dead. And they're mute. But we see idolatry in our own lives. When we worship anything more than Christ. Next, in verse 24, it talks about the sin of unbelief. Some of these are repeated. I didn't want to try to come up with a bunch of names. I just want to call it what I saw it. Verse 24. They despised the pleasant land and having no faith in His promise, they murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. 
I mean, they were getting delivered and led to the promised land. They sent out the spies and they came back and said, we can't do it, folks. It ain't going to happen. We are like grasshoppers in the sight of the people there. Surely they will destroy us. Yes, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. Yes, it is a great place, but if we can't go there. They doubted God's word. He said, go. And then he said, okay, fine. You're going to wander around in this desert and nobody here that rebelled against me, nobody in this generation is going to be allowed. You're going to die in the wilderness. And then they said, okay, we'll go. They, they, dis, they did not believe God. And then they murmured in their tents in disbelief. We're not immune to that either, are we? You know, this is a small example, but by God's grace, after I was saved, I had some young men that poured into my life and they taught me, just like God intends, to walk with the Lord. They taught me to read the Word daily. They taught me to memorize Scripture and meditate on it and to pray fervently, to keep a prayer list. I had a notebook and would just pray and read and study. And because of that, God was growing me very quickly. That's how it should be. That's, how, that's God's plan. They were ta- teaching me immediately how to share the gospel. They would taught me when I felt guilty about a sin in my life. Don't run from it or hide from it, but that's God's loving discipline guiding you. So confess it openly and, and ask Him to restore you and believe that He will to keep a short account with God, if you will. And we would meet up on Friday nights and have accountability time. And I'd be just gut level honest with them about the things that I was struggling with. And they didn't condemn me. They said, I remember that, and these are the scriptures that I use, that God used in my life to give me victory. Here, take these passages and memorize them, and I'll call you tomorrow and see how it's going. And You can call me anytime you need to talk. And they taught me to walk with God, and it, it, it began to happen, and God was answering my prayer from when I surrendered. God, if you help me, I'll give you my life. And man, He was helping me. He was changing the desires of my heart because the old had passed, the new was coming. I was a new creation in Christ. And about a, a year after I was saved, only a year. Now granted, God had given me a hunger for His Word. I remember, this is honest, I remember reading the Bible so much. It reminds me of my buddy Slim. He's a new believer and loves being alone with God. He will be in his, in his home just devouring the Word, reading several books every night. Just devouring the Word. And he's like, man... I'm in my prayer time, and I'm like laughing and crying at the same time. I'm like, man, it's good, and it's slim. It's good. That's how it was. I read so much that my eyes were strained. I didn't like to read before I got saved. And I'd be riding down the road, and the street signs were like fuzzy. I'm like, man, something ain't right with my eyes. And I went to get them checked, and the lady said, I don't see anything wrong with your eyes. I'm like, well, something ain't right. And she said, have you been reading more lately? I said, oh yeah, a whole lot more. I never read before. And she said, your eyes aren't used to the strain. I mean, that's how much God was just growing me and changing me and giving me a hunger for Himself. And after about a year, I started feeling like God might be calling me to ministry. And I thought, there's no way. There's no way. I'm not educated enough. I'm not about to get up in front of folks and talk. And the preacher that I knew had a doctorate degree. and I mean, I didn't even have an associate at the time. How am I supposed to do that? I can't do that, God. And I resisted it. And there were people in my life that were nudging me every now and then, and I'd get a little bit testy with them, you know, like, leave me alone. You worry about what God's doing in your life, you know. I'm not. And finally, I remember it just being plain as day. I remember having this thought I'm not doubting myself, I'm doubting God. It was disbelief. I wasn't doubting myself. Now look, this is why I say that. I promise you I'm not trying to build myself up. There's nothing good in me but Christ. But some of you, God may put something on your heart and you're like, there's no way I could do that. No, you cannot do it. That's the beauty of it. But do not disbelieve that God can. 
When we were starting the journey to go overseas, I can tell you so many times I said, God, I cannot do it. But he can. And if he's calling someone, you've heard the, 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 the sayings, and it's really not cliche. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. That's true. If he has put something on your heart to do for him, don't believe that he can't. Believe that he can. Because in those scenarios, we're not really doubting ourselves or doubting God's power. And I had seen his power. Sometimes I'm praying for somebody and I'm thinking, I just don't think they're ever going to get saved. And then I'm reminded, do you not remember how hard-hearted you were? I mean, people would invite me to church and I'd cuss them out. And then God softened my heart and saved me. The Israelites didn't corner the market on doubting God. Don't forget His power. Don't be quick to disbelieve. That was verse 24. They despised the pleasant land. Man, they missed out on something good too. You know it? They really missed out on some good stuff because of not believing God and trusting God. I don't know how to reconcile the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man all the time. I'm going to always lean towards the sovereignty of God. Spurgeon said you don't have to reconcile friends. They're both in Scripture. <laughs> There's not a, anything in, that needs to be reconciled between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. The God of the ends is the God of the means as well. But every now and then, do you not feel prodded in your heart to share the gospel with somebody in a certain situation? And if you're like me, you probably fail more than you actually succeed. You probably say, ah, I'm too busy or I don't know what to say. Maybe next time. And you wiggle your way prodding you to do. I've said this a million times. It's got to be God prodding us to do that because in our flesh we don't feel like doing it. And we know it's not Satan wanting us to share the gospel. So it's got to be the Holy Spirit prodding us to share the gospel. And we still, whatever reason, don't do it. I do that so much. I fail. And then I think, well, you almost want to make excuses, right? I mean, God's sovereign. It's not dependent on me to be the one that leads that person to Christ. But you know what? I think that's true. But what a blessing we, get, we miss out on by not being involved in that. Have you ever led someone to Christ? Have you ever been there when someone goes from death to life? When the light bulb finally goes off, maybe they've heard the gospel hundreds of times, but God's gotten their heart ready. And you share with them about their 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 brokenness and why it's there is because of sin and that they cannot be good enough to come to God. But the good news is He came to them. When we couldn't get to Him, He came to us. When we could not be righteous, He died for our sin and gave us His own righteousness. And when the light bulb goes off and they're just ready to receive and they cry out to God. I was praying with a young man back when I was doing the youth ministry and he was an intellectual guy and he had been coming to church for a while and he's sitting in the back seat of my little sedan and he said, God, my faith has more holes in it than Swiss cheese. <laughs> and I just chuckled, you know, I'm like, this is so good. There was a time I was at the jail and there was a guy getting out of jail and we were going to preach and we were waiting to get in. I thought, well, I mean, he's not going to be there. Let's talk to him. He's waiting on a ride. We're waiting to get in. I'm like, bro, do you know about Jesus? He said, oh, yeah, he's the one that died on the cross to pay for sin. I'm like, well, you know, bro, have you ever received that salvation? No, I've never received it. Well, do you need it? Yeah, I need it. Well, do you know what you need to do? He said, I need to repent and trust Christ. I'm like, what? I told you this before. It tripped me out. I'm like blown away. And I'm like, well, do you want to do it? And he's like, yeah, I'll do it right now. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, why am I even here? God did not need me in that minute, but he allowed me the privilege to be a part of it. Heaven is a feast, a wedding banquet, a monster party. We're going to be there. Don't you want to invite as many people as possible? 
Won't it be good when you get there and you see somebody that you hadn't seen in 30 years and they're like, do you remember me? You're the one that told me about the gospel. Won't that be good? Won't that be glorious? So it's not like God is dependent on us to obey. But we get a chance when we don't doubt and when we trust Him and when we follow through to experience part of His goodness and His plan. And by the way, that is a great way to not forget how good the gospel is. When I see my buddy Slim excited about Jesus, and he's, we're talking about financial difficulties, and I'm like, bro, what you going to do? He's like, I'm just going to pray. I'm like, well, duh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You got it. Thanks for the reminder. And when he's like, man, you pick him up, and he's like crying, and you're like, what's up, dude? You okay? Man, I've just been praising God. I'm like, I remember that. And it's so good. You know what I'm saying? All right, we've got to fast forward. Sorry. Verse 28, we see the sin of idolatry again. And you can call this several different things. They yoked themselves to the bell of Peor and they ate sacrifices offered to the dead. And when they did that, because they were God's chosen people, His holy nation that was supposed to show Him to the other nations, but they started chasing after these other gods. It provoked the Lord to anger. And a plague broke out among them. But you know what happened? It caused them to put their attention back on the Lord. His judgment brought repentance. I'm going to fast forward. Idolatry. You'll see it again. Verse 32, you see the sin of rebellion. They angered him at the waters of Meribah and it went ill with Moses on their account. Do you remember that? And that in Numbers 20, they were thirsty and wanted water. They were murmuring and complaining and, and poor Moses, it just it, it ate him alive. You know, like God, this stiff-necked people, Why? Why do I have to be the mediator in this situation? I mean, I'm just pulling my hair out. And God told him, just like they had done before, speak to the rock, but he got mad and he hit it. Remember that? This is another example of God's seriousness about sin. Because of that action of anger, Moses was not allowed to enter into the Holy Land. They rebelled. The word says in Numbers 20 against the Lord at that time. And it went ill with Moses on their account. They made his spirit bitter and he spoke rashly with his lips. Then, in verse 34, we begin to see the sins, Israel's sinfulness in the promised land. See is in the promised land. This one gets me. This one gets me. God had told them to destroy the nations, but they didn't. And they started mixing with them and learning as they did. And this is pretty pertinent today. We are God's chosen people. We are His holy nation now. And I think, I do, I really do think that the gospel and church and faith in Christ should be expressed differently culture by culture in a biblical way. But man, you can look across this land of prosperity, this land of corporations, this land of sensuality, this land of I want it now, this land of convenience and immediate gratification, and you see it creeping into the church. And I feel like we miss out sometimes on seeing God's power because we're so tied to the clock or because we're so focused on corporate strategy and so focused on being seeker-friendly that we lose holiness. You know what I mean? 
We got to be so careful because look at what happened. And we would shake our head and say, never would I do that. But this just shows that that digression. This shows the, the depths of the depravity of man's heart. In verse 35, it says that they mixed with the nations and they learned to do as they did. And they served their idols, which became a snare, a trap to them. And they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. And you're hoping maybe this means this is figurative, right? Hopefully this is figurative, but it's not. They poured out innocent blood. The blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And they polluted the land with their blood. They became unclean by their acts and they played the whore in their deeds. This is, this is brutal language. PG-13 at, at, mo, at least. I just, you see in this, 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 that one account, you see the sin of idolatry and you also see the sin of murder. I put murder on there. I, 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 false worship. Sacrificing their children, literally, to false gods. It says here to demons, by the way. Demons. That's what false worship is, right? Worshiping demons. That's what the people in India, when they're bowing down to these statues, they're actually worshiping demons because they've been led astray from the one true God. Satan smiles while they do it. When we worship idols in our life, Satan smiles. While the God of America is probably money, also probably comfort, probably leisure, Status, prominence, we get sucked into that as well. I mean, who in here would be upset at a raise? Is there anything wrong with a raise? By no means. By no means. Is there anything wrong with being comfortable? By no means. But it's very wrong if that's our God. I listened to a sermon the other day about envy by J.D. Greer. It's really good preaching through a sermon series and he talks about how you can follow the things that you're jealous of in other people's lives to see what the idols are in your own heart. If you're jealous of somebody's prominence, then your idol is prominence and power, prestige. If you're jealous of someone else's spouse or whatever, maybe that's your idol in your own life, not having what they have, that, that type of relationship if you're idolizing money or envious of someone's money then or their 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 wealth then in your own heart maybe that's an idol in your life does that make sense and he said i love this he said the way to get out of envy you don't just stop because by worshiping those idols you worship yourself into envy so the way to get out is by worshiping yourself out of envy by worshiping the one true King, the one true God, the one who is worthy of our worship. Does that make sense? I like that. Number three, so we see in one, we see the praise and prayer. Then we see the remembrance of Israel's sin. And then number three, we see the remembrance of the Lord's faithfulness. And it's in more verses than what I gave credit for in these notes. It's all throughout the passage, really. But in verse one, you see, Praise the Lord for His steadfast goodness. Verses 8 through 12, we see Him saving the Israelites at the Red Sea for His name's sake. He's being faithful. Then, throughout the psalm, letter A under this section is, the Lord was faithful in judgment. Well, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> God is faithful in judgment. Well, I tell you what. That's what they needed. He brought judgment on their sin and it caused them to come back to repentance. He gave them what they needed. He does that for us. Remember? The discipline of the Lord is His love. Now here's something that's good. There's a difference between judgment and discipline. 
Maybe it's subtle. Maybe it's semantics. I don't think so. Because those of us who are in Christ, the punishment that you and I deserve, the judgment, God's wrath for our sin was poured out on Him, on Jesus. He absorbed the wrath of God in our place. He absorbed God's judgment. Those of us in Christ, when God the Father looks at us, He sees the perfection of His Son. 2 Corinthians 5.17 He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. But He still disciplines us. Why? Because He's a loving Father. Scriptures say that if you're not disciplined by God, then you're an illegitimate child. What does that mean? It means look out. It means get saved. I say that with, with every bit of love I could. Those of us who are children of God, I remember it like it was yesterday. From the moment I was saved, things changed. The way that I saw stuff began to change. I went out drinking with my buddies and I started feeling really, really guilty about it. But for years, I never felt guilty about it. I loved it. I lived for it. But that night, man, I tried my best to drown that guilt. And it would not go away. And I said, forget the Christian junk. I quit. It's for the birds. I'm not even going to try anymore. But aren't you glad that He's faithful even when we are not? He chased me, pursued me out of love. And then someone said, Trey, when you feel that, that's a good thing. That's God's, not His judgment. That's His discipline. Why? Because God disciplines those whom He loves. Why? Just like when I used to spank my little girl for running into the street because I knew she didn't belong in the street. I didn't discipline her out of anger or hatred. I do sometimes, and that's because I'm sinful. But in those times, it was, hey, that's out of the boundaries. Don't cross this line or you're going to get a spanking because I don't want you getting run over by an SUV. Because I loved her. If I didn't love her, Play in the street if you want to. Get run over. You'll learn. Right? Now I'm all about letting somebody touch something that's hot. They won't do it again. But don't stick a knife in the socket. I mean, that's a little extreme. Right? Don't do that. Daddy loves you. Don't, don't get electrocuted. God disciplines us because He loves us. He is faithful to do that. Aren't you glad? He doesn't just let us run our own way. He keeps us on course. We see also, verses 44 and 46, the Lord was faithful in compassion and deliverance. Verse 44, Psalm 106 says, Nevertheless, He looked upon their distress when He heard their cry, and for their sake, remember earlier, he rescued them from the Red Sea. It said for His name's sake. But we also see it, Him doing it for their sake. Because He's a God of compassion. For their sake, He remembered His covenant. And He relented according to the abundance of His steadfast love. Guys, we serve a God that has an abundance of steadfast love. And we are desperate for His steadfast love. I'm going to read the main point again. The nation of Israel had seen God's miraculous power and had tasted of His deliverance. They had, you could say, we have every reason to trust and to serve Him, but they constantly turned from Him in sin. And His wrath and His anger burned against their sinfulness. Their only hope was God's faithfulness to His covenant relationship with them. And He would rescue them, right? When he heard their cry, he would relent and have mercy and he would rescue them. The same is true for us in Christ. We are constantly, maybe it's better to say, I was, I was running out of space. I was trying to keep it one page. If I had one more word, this would have been two pages. So I should have put on here, maybe we are constantly tempted to be led astray. Because <laughs> we're not constantly led astray by the power of Christ. Amen. We sin against God. And we should not minimize our sin. Our only hope is a covenant relationship with the Lord through Christ. So, since that is true, 
All the more we should be reminded to cling to His grace and to worship Him for His faithfulness and to live for His glory.